0: We realize the importance of our voices only when we are silenced. Hello, and welcome to episode 74 of the Rugged Angel cast. I am your host, Camila. You can catch the Rugged Angel cast on WMCK.FM, where I play heavily dominated women-led music. New shows air on Wednesdays at 9 p.m. and then repeats on Thursdays at 5 p.m. and again on Mondays at 1 p.m. You can listen on your computer or your phone or your tablet. There is an app that works with both Android and Apple. So just go to WMCK.FM and figure out which is your best route to take. But if you don't care about the music and you're just here for the conversation, then you can find me on iTunes and Libson under Rugged Angel Productions. It would mean a lot to me if you would please be so kind as to take the time and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. That really helps me out in getting noticed, getting sponsored, as well as getting information from you as to what it is I could be doing better or more of. You can also like the Rugged Angel cast on Facebook and follow... Rugged Angel Cast on Twitter. And make sure to like Rugged Angel Productions on Facebook and follow me, Camila, on Twitter at the underscore Rugged Angel. This week's guest is Etta Cetera. Etta curated an exhibit at Boom Concepts here in Pittsburgh called Contraband, an art show and fundraiser for prison justice. The show was back in April, and unfortunately, I was unable to get this podcast up in time to let everyone know about it. But, um, the exhibit showcased artists from both sides of the prison walls and the proceeds from the show went to Let's Get Free, the Women and Trans Prisoner Defense Committee, specifically in efforts to pass HB 135, a bill that would expand, role, uh, that would expand parole eligibility for lifers. So I talked to Edda as she gave a tour of the exhibit along with the history of the project. just recording tonight my name is Camila Adams and I host and produce a podcast called the rugged angel cast and um, with that what I do is I interview a different woman every week um, about whatever it is that she's up to what she's doing and a lot and I've just managed to meet a lot of awesome women in this process and I believe you're number 74 so my birth year (laughs) oh is it yeah nice all right Mm -hmm. so it just goes right together yeah So um, what we're going to do tonight, and this is a little unorthodox for me, because I've probably done maybe two live podcasts, and um, most of them is just in the comfort of my home studio, and I come in and we talk for an hour or whatnot, but um, tonight we'll chat a little bit with Etta, and then she'll give us a tour of what's going on here, and we'll just record and just do it that way. If you guys have any questions to ask her throughout the, feel free, please go ahead. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that's how this was working. (laughs) Yeah, that questions for you are cool, right? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Speak for you. Well, no, even you recording your podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. All right, so... Yeah, if I'm not clear about something, please... All right. So, Etta, welcome to the Rugged Angel cast. Thank you so much. <laughs> we are sitting here at Boom Concepts on Penn Avenue Gallery area <laughs> and whatnot. Um, and you've had this show up for how long? Um, the month of April. And the, the full is Contraband? Contraband Prison Justice Art Show. Okay. Okay. All right, so how's your day going so far?
1: My day is good. I've been just at my house. I didn't have to work um, cleaning houses today, so I was calling a lot of people, the auction, people who won this auction. Uh We had over 100 people, I mean 100 pieces of art Mm -hmm. hung, and I think we sold about 88 pieces. So I'm still... um, just calling people. That's amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I think we raised up to maybe $4,000 for our cause. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. All right, so um, you're from Pittsburgh originally? I'm not. Okay. Where I grew from? up in the deep, deep suburbs of Baltimore, D.C., and Annapolis, Maryland. Okay. I moved here in 1998. <laughs> I always say I tripped and fell in love, and then the city stole my heart. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I I grew up four and a half hours south of here. Okay.
0: So what was Baltimore like growing up?
1: Um, well, the suburbs, it was very, um, stereotypical suburbs, um... Yeah. It's like every third house looked the same. There was cul de sacs a golf course. Okay. You couldn't get out of the city. There was like three buses to get out of the suburb like at like seven in the morning. Pretty much for people who worked in DC or Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And then they would drop you off at six. So you really couldn't get out. We hung out behind the Kmart for fun. <laughs> um in the sewer. I was actually remembering this the other day, like we used to run in the sewers. That's like what we did after school is like run running in the sewers. Run in the sewers under the Kmart strip mall parking lot really yeah and like if we <laughs> fell and got muddy then we would get in trouble so we tried not to do that um, so. but yeah there wasn't a lot
0: popping okay so do you did you f- find yourself into art?
1: Um, actually, no, I didn't. I feel like, uh, the capitalist system and the public high school I went to really did everything it could to, like, push down creativity, Mm -hmm. and, um, what I found out later in my teen years is that I loved learning, Mm -hmm. I loved doing art, but actually my, my environment didn't super foster that. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt like if you weren't, like, a super fine artist, then you weren't cultivated, you weren't, like, encouraged to express yourself creatively. Right. Um, so, you know, I am who I am, the person I am today because of the suburbs I grew up in. Um, so I don't regret that because, I, you know, right. because I'm working to love myself every day. But definitely it was like it really allows me to imagine like the world that can be and how much like I want people to, to be creative right. and express themselves and nurture that. Because I do believe that everybody is an artist.
0: That is a really good thought. I, yeah. I, I appreciate that. And, yeah, and it's also really great that you don't regret anything, your upbringing or anything like that. Because, yeah, we, we, we are who we are today. And usually if we love and like who we are today, then everything that brought us up there was for a reason. Yeah. So um, what brought you to Pittsburgh?
1: Well, like I said, I tripped and fell in love. I met this man, Tentatively A-Convenience, <laughs> which is the answer to the question, what definition or like what purpose does a name serve? A name is Tentatively A-Convenience. His name is Tent. He lives exactly two blocks away from me. He's one of my <laughs> oldest friends at this point. We were together for four years. And then since then, we're like, you know, family We will bury each other, Mm. whoever goes, you know, we're like, we're in each other's lives. I definitely, he was super major influence on my life. He taught me about the Move family, which um, we were talking about this earlier today. Um, I can't remember if it was today or yesterday, but about the Move, we were... Just talking about the Moo family, and he was the first. I remember when he told me the story of the Moo family. I was on the corner of Craig Street. We had just gone to the ATM, and I I remember it so clearly, just I could not believe that the city of Philadelphia bombed a a city block where this family lived. That's a very it it, it intersects with like everything that I do today, which right. is like prison justice. And um you know why I this is this is why we were talking about this, because William Good, who was the mayor, the black mayor of Philadelphia when they dropped that bomb on the on the Moo family. He is the executive director of this new organization I just found out about called Healing Communities. Okay. Um, we had a panel discussion here last Saturday, which was really exciting. Um, it was really, it was. Uh, it, we were trying to bring together these different um, people who work in the prison justice system. A lot of faith communities work in the prison justice system, mm. so it was an interfaith panel and. People from the healing communities came. And basically what they're talking about is that the onus of reentry should not be on one family. And we really need to push the, um, push the stigma of being incarcerated and try to challenge that. So there's this um, kind of like process, community. I'm just learning about it myself, and that's why I looked it up online. Um, trying to get the whole congregation or church or synagogue or whatever you're affiliated with to, like, really embrace, like, re-entry to, you know, it takes a village and all of that stuff. So I was on their website, and I saw that William Good was the executive director, and it really surprised me.
0: Huh. So how did you get involved in prison justice?
1: Well, um... So when I moved here, I, I just knew tent. I didn't have that many friends, and um, actually, Soren's one of my oldest friends. He's sitting across <laughs> here. I knew I knew them many many years ago. But I was really into mail art, which is like trading mail, trading art through the mail. Okay. There's um, it got really big in the 70s. Um, it's very, very, very different now with all the technology and internet and everything, but...
0: Okay, just a quick second. How did folks find each other?
1: There was new... This is this is how it is. Like, they had magazines that would... This magazine called Global Mail, and it was just listing of addresses and names mm-hmm. of people who wanted to trade mail so you could just write. And then people would do a project, like, I did a project that was, like, make five tiny books. You'll get five tiny books from other artists okay. in return. And then one book stays in the miniature library, so I, I'm also a miniature. Miniature librarian. Not only am I five foot tall, <laughs> the same the same height as Harriet Tillman, but I also collect miniature books, um, tiny homemade books. I have like over two hundred, and they're all from all over the world. Tiny homemade books. Okay. Yeah. And miniature books. I, I had no idea there was a. It's a thing. Yeah. It's a total thing. <laughs> and that. actually, there is another et cetera who's like in her sixties, and she's also into mail art. Really? Yeah. All right. Okay. So. So you, I'm you in this mail art right. magazine. I see this guy, Christopher Plummer. He's in prison. I just sent him a postcard. Uh-huh. Just like a little art postcard, whatever. He writes me back. We become friends. Um,
0: when was this? Like, cor- this
1: was like 1999. Okay. Um, he identified as a political prisoner... Um, I started working with him. We became friends. He was teaching me about the day-to-day struggles of living in prison. At the same time, I became awake of consciousness. People actually take an initiative to change what they didn't like about society. And the first group I came upon was the, um, was it the Western PA Committee to Free Mumia at Abu Jamal? It had like the, lo- I'm looking at Martha Connelly who's sitting <laughs> right to my right. Because it had like the longest name of like any group. Um, the, the un... Determ- uh, it was like the, de- yeah. like the totally determined, like <laughs> undeniable committee to free Mumi Abu Jamal. Today's his birthday, his 62nd birthday, oh, wow. and he went to he court went today. To court. Did anything happen from that? I haven't found out yet. So there was a major court action today for Mumia and also he just got his Hep C pill which was a major struggle and and a total win even though with all of the trouble. It's just like we got to like hold on to those wins when we can. What was his name again? Um, Mumia Abu Jamal. And what's his story? Um, he's he's one of the world's most famous political prisoners. There's okay. a street named after him in France. At one time, and at the time that I got involved in 1999 or so, 2000, there was people all over the world having protests demanding to stop the execution of Mumia because he was on death row. Okay. And he was involved with the MOU family. Okay. He was um, a Black Panther since he was the age of 15. Mm-hmm. He was a journalist. He is brilliant, and he still has a podcast today. You can. Still hear it on prison uh-huh. radio. Um, he's written a ton of books. There's a film called Long Distance Revolutionary, which is phenomenal. It is just, like, he is so... Martha knows him. Um, I had the honor to meet him. And, like, you know, he's just he's amazing he's amazing he's brilliant he could be present i would he could be president he's like our Nelson mandela like mm-hmm. seriously and the only thing keeping people from him right now is the you need to just write him or go see him like you mm-hmm. can you can see him but he should be he should be free and people all over the world are fighting for his freedom but he, his sentence got changed to life which kind of quelled the movement a little bit, but he was, um, so he was a black radical and he reported on police brutality. Okay. And so when all the stuff went down with the Moo family, he was like the number one reporter wow. and an interaction happened. He was a cab driver and his brother was there and a cop killed, cop got killed and Mumia also got shot and they, he's always maintained his innocence. Mm. Um, and they basically blamed him, blamed him for the murder of Officer Faulkner. They said, Unbelievably racist things at his trial, including I'm not going to say the actual thing, but it was like I. The judge said something like, "I hope they fried the n-word." Like that was the judge, unwritten, unwritten. It was written. It was documented. It was noted, and still that hearing holds up as truth. As like that, or whatever, as, as according to the state. But there's, you know, people have come out and said, "I've done it. I have evidence." There's just it's like, they're. It's the silencing of black radicals, Mm -hmm. and Mumia Abu-Jamal is 100% responsible for the person I am right now. Like, his case really educated me, um, and the movement really educated me around him uh, on systemic level. So while my friend Chris Plummer... I was learning about the day-to-days, like prisoners couldn't get books, Mm -hmm. Mumia's case and the movement around Mumia was teaching me about um, white supremacy, systemic racism, you know, the silencing of black radicals, just, you know, how the police force came to be, everything. And that's when you started to well,
0: when you got the fire lit.
1: It was a slow build, you know. So like we started um, book them the books to prisoner program because Chris couldn't get books, mm-hmm. and my friend Neo's husband Aaron he couldn't get books, and we were like, "This is the dumbest thing we've ever heard in our entire lives. Prisoners right. can't get books." Right. So this woman actually hopped a train from Philly and came out here and taught me and my friend Neo how to set up a books to prisoner program, which at that time you needed because now there's Amazon which is cool in a way because I can just, like, buy a book online and get it sent to my friend, and it's accepted. But we created this whole program. You had to be aligned with a bookstore. It has to come from, you know, a book or publisher, and actually all the letters on the wall of the solitary confinement cell are mm. written to the Books to Prisoner program. Oh, So that program happens just two doors down at the Thomas Merton Center. I'm not involved with it anymore, but people are still, um, every Sunday they get together and they mail books to prisoners. Really? Prisoners request books, so you can, yeah.
0: Wow, and so uh, you said that... Doing it via Amazon is acceptable. Why do you say it yeah. like that? Is it... I mean, is it preferred... You, you prefer a more personal
1: <coughs> Yeah, bond? like, I have a book at my house. I should be able to just send it to my friend in prison without it being, like, stamped from a bookstore. I so say there's a, So
0: this is what's in place. This is... Do, yeah. To the prisons, these are their rules.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, like... I roll my eyes when I say Amazon because I still have to buy the book from Amazon, mm-hmm. and that's, like, Amazon making money. Right. Just all those things where I, I could just go to the, you know, used bookstore, get whatever and right. send it to my friend.
0: Okay. So you've, you're you involved in the Book'Em. But yeah. You started, or you're working with them. Right. You have, you're now in it.
1: Yeah, I'm get, we're getting, like, hundreds of requests from prisoners every week. So then the prisoners start... Well, one, I start building friends. I start making a lot of friends with incarcerated people. And two, I start learning all about it, all about the prison system, start going to conferences like Critical Resistance 10. Well, that was the 10-year anniversary, but Critical Resistance. They had regional gatherings, New York City, New Orleans... They had the 10-year anniversary in San Francisco. Those conferences really educated me. Um, Some people went to um, college. I went to conferences. (laughs) Yeah, so critical resistance definitely is, like, part of my education. Um, But I'm also going to say, so people, the prisoners would write, and they'd be like, I'm getting abused. They'd write to our books, the Prisoner Program. And they would be like, I'm getting abused. I'm in solitary. Just, like, heartbreaking. And, like, we would be like okay this is terrible like right. us versus like the empire like what what do we, we really just i didn't know what to do um then around that time i got into a relationship with alixa garcia naima peniman who are a dynamic duo called climbing poetry and Illusion Um, Noel, who's my good friend, and she she did book them a lot. She she lives in Mexico City now. Um, She's a journalist. Mm -hmm. Um, And this guy, Eric Ruin, we created this project called the Prison Poster Project. So we were trying to create with incarcerated illustrators um, a teaching tool that could be used to describe like what what are the problems with the prison issues? Okay. And so a lot of the artwork that you see on these walls are from that project. Okay. Like we surveyed people in prisons across the nation, like 80, I think we had at the end of the day, 80 surveys that had like 25 questions on them that were asking Everything from, like, what do you want people to know about prisons? How would you want to be artistically represented? Um, at that time, George Bush Jr. was president. Do you think... I remember we had this question. Do you think George Bush Jr. should be incarcerated? Because we we, we were saying he was the biggest war criminal at the time. Yeah. You know, just everything. And that... People criticized... People on the outside criticized that question, I remember. And I was like, oh, maybe we shouldn't ask that. They were, like, critical of that question. And then the answers no, 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 no. I believe he's a criminal. No, incarceration doesn't work. It doesn't do anything. All the prisoners were saying no to that question. So I actually found that question to be a very telling one. But um, so a lot of the artwork on the wall is articulating prison life. It's articulating the issues that people in prison wanted you to know about. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, we were trying to compare the historical history, the history of this country, genocide, mm-hmm. slavery, colonialism, with the current day prison system. And Naima saw that movie, The 13th, and she texted me like really late one night. She was like, Etta. Ava made the poster. <laughs> she made it. <laughs> um, so that was a that was a cool text to get. We never finished the project. It never got finished, and this is it. You know, these frame the poster project never this got finished? Is, it never got finished. We have a DVD slideshow of the artwork mm. along with the interview. So it's like a little zine. Okay. That you can we have some here. You could have one. Okay. Um But so it's like it's basically like a slideshow where you can read. You can read actual quotes from people incarcerated talking about so it would be like like the the picture up there in the red frame Mm -hmm. um was illustrated
0: very haunting
1: yeah which was illustrated by michael mendoza his uh, his portrait is below a self-portrait and he wrote he, he he drew that in response to the um his task was to illustrate how do the prisons deal with mental health problems do they well, he illustrated a man in a straitjacket in a soft cell, like in a in a you know a padded room. Mm-hmm. Like that's how he articulated that answer. Um.
0: um oh, that's really that's really heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> um. So you you're getting these this correspondence from the prisoners through the Bookum project. Right. Where they're telling you more about than, you know, right. just books that they want. They're trying to, they're reaching yeah, out. Yeah, they're
1: like, we need help. We need, there's glass in our food. There's, guards are beating me up. Like, so then, cut to, cut to, um frame number 25. So that's Kevin Rashid Johnson. I met him. His name was given to me when we were looking for incarcerated artists. And they were like, you got to meet Rashid." So we started writing him. We asked him if he wanted to work on the project. He was like, yes. He, he became one of our main... He was like my best friend at one point. And he was at Red Onion State Prison in Virginia. And he was... There was just abuse everywhere happening in that prison. And they made... Um, so... And, okay, he wrote this zine, and I helped him publish his zines, yeah. and we would trade him as stuff, and um, he wrote this article that was, like, cruel and usual punishment in the prison system. And he basically was documenting the abuse that was happening in Red Onion. He would be like, this date, this time, these guards did this. He got cell extracted. They came at him and whatever. And then, so he would send me this stuff and I would just, like, share it with people. And then one day he sent me this letter and he was like, nobody is doing anything. Like, I keep sending these things out and nobody's doing anything. And I was like, again, like, what? I'm like a... five foot white woman from the suburbs I'm like what can we do with this empire prison system where it's just like so we founded HRC well at that time it was fed up and we just started with abuse logs we just started tracking the abuse logs and making that public so he would like send the things and then we would try to just like tell make it expose it okay um, simultaneously there was a radio program in eastern Kentucky that bordered Virginia, the western part of Virginia. And so those two supermax prisons, Redonia State Prison and Wallens Ridge State Prison, was right across the border from Kentucky. And there was there's a great media project there called Apple Shop, like Apple like Appalachian. Okay. And um, they have a radio station and they're. It, it's, ama- it's amazing, they really historify the cult, the region, the culture um, anything from the coal miner strikes to just whatever, the music and the culture, and they, they historify it and they archive it there and like create space around that, and they have this radio show and so, you know, and it's mostly like working class white people out there, mm-hmm. so these two prisons are there And most of their population is, like, black people from the cities, like Richmond, which is, like, nine hours away. Oh, wow. So the the people from Richmond, Virginia, were getting housed in these supermaxes, and they could hear the radio station. So they basically, because they became their biggest listeners Mm. to this... Station, so they started tailoring their radio to the prisoners, and they started this um, radio show called Holler to the Hood, mm. and people could call in and leave messages to their people. Okay. So it was like okay. um, it's really cool. They'd still do a, a national Christmas show where people all over, and then um, and you know public radios all over the city, the country will like play their loved one messages. Oh, wow. um, but we, we we used to call in. I used to call in every week for years and just be like hey, this is Etta, you know, and I'm not being flippant, but I'd be like, is anybody getting beat up? Like, you can right. call us this is the address, we're documenting the thing. But so I would do, there would be like public service announcements, like send us your, you know, we're trying to expose the information. But also, you know, we would like read poems. And like if I was around Alixa and Naima, who are like awesome poets, Mm -hmm. I'd have them sing for the um, radio show or whatever. Um, But that was a really cool... Thing, But so we tried to organize in Virginia, but it's too, we're across state lines, you know, it was hard enough getting people to, like, motivated yeah. to do anything. Um, I did go to protests in Virginia, and I tried to organize down there, but it was really, really hard. And me and Rasheed had a falling out, um, like you would in a friendship, mm-hmm. whether it's in prison or outside of the prisons. And so... You know, and it's really like if your loved ones on the outside are the ones that are like part of these advocacy organizations. So the connections are so important. Um, but what we were doing with Fed Up was already happening in Pennsylvania. So Russell Maroon Schultz is a good friend of Martha and I, and he he's my movement dad. It's official. We're family. Um, <laughs> I love and adore him. He was so excited about the art show. I sent him all the pictures. And he was just like super, super excited. Um, so he started an organization in Philadelphia called HRC, the Human Rights Coalition, and it's mm-hmm. friends and families of people in prison fighting abuse and what kind of whatever catch all for all the different prison issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even though we had started this official organization that was working in Virginia, I was kind of doing it with my friends incarcerated in pennsylvania anyway so we merged with hrc and became okay. part of a statewide network okay. and then over the years just gradually cut out virginia because it was just like too hard mm-hmm. across the state lines different governors different yeah. laws just like everything it was just hard so hrc fed up um founded by Maroon. Also, Robert Holbrook, juvenile lifer and, like, super bestie of mine. And just, like, he's... Hopefully, he'll be getting out this year
0: mm-hmm. because of the different laws. So... So what are the... some? What are some of the instances that you would consider wins or wins? things that you have helped to change or your group has helped to...
1: Well... There's, you know, small things like... Um, You know, Mumia getting his pills for hepsi, which, you know And how long I didn't have my hands on that tangibly, but I I say that's our win. Right, yeah. That's our our win. Yeah, Yeah. and you know You know, so like the abolitionist law center and different law projects were a part of that. It took two years. He's been having hepsi for a long time. He was so sick. He was so sick and they were keeping him from his family. And then, you know, he's it took forever, but for him to get that medicine not only is hopefully going to be good for him, but there's thousands of people in Pennsylvania that have hep C, mm-hmm. and this pill can help them. And because Mumia is an internationally renowned political prisoner and has such support, it might be able to help everybody in our Pennsylvania, which actually means everybody in our state of Pennsylvania, because that is a public health issue. Right. And, you know... It can be taken care of, right. so that's a win. Um, I would say solitary confinement, and Martha, you helped me think of the wins too, because I feel like there's a lot, I found this thing I wrote today, many, many years ago for that life-size prison cell, mm-hmm. that said there was 20,000 people in solitary units across the country. I bet that, I don't know, Eighty. it's
0: 80. 80,000 80, now in solitary. Wow. This is. I'm sorry. See, is this. Is this an,
1: the that is States, not a win. That is not a. That is not a win. There.
0: Is this the, across the United States? Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Across the United
1: States. I guess. Yeah. That's. That's terrible it, news. It is changing, though. Yeah. That's. In California, for example, they're phasing it out.
0: They're phasing out solitary confinement in California. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jules Labelle's case. Okay. So I guess. While we're talking about that, Mm -hmm. you want
1: to... You want to go over to the solitary cell? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess just, like, while we're sitting here, one thing is, like, I thought... I brought up solitary as, like, one of the wins because all of my friends who were in solitary are not as solitary anymore. We we brought attention to it. Yeah. There was, like, the Stop Max campaign. There's still a movement, and there's still people in solitary. But really, like, you don't need to be in the cell. There's all of these... Like, you don't need to be... If more than 90 days or even 30 days, they were like, has no... No... There's no, like, accumulative effect for, like, putting somebody... Like, punishing right, there's no somebody...
0: rehabilitation. After, yeah. Like, okay, I'm gonna put you away it makes for... Makes people
1: worse. Right, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so we can go We can go over there okay. if you want.
0: Um, Everybody, come yeah. on along. Yeah,
1: thanks <clears throat> for coming, everyone. Well, here, just, like, at the back... So um, one of the, the main artists of the show and the reason that we wanted to have the show was because of Todd Hyung Ray Tarcelli, who I met in solitary confinement. You know, so Mumia, Maroon, um, our friend Hoagie, TR, they were all in the solitary confinement together and so they talk through the vents oh, a lot or they would see each other in the yard and so if you meet one of them they'll be like go visit my friend so that's how we mm. meet each other so Todd Hyung Ray, TR he has all these names and I call them all of them <laughs> um, he's in a brilliant brilliant artist and so this isn't this was his response for the prison poster project to solitary he was doing the solitary cell, wow. and so he drew this it's a man crouched over in an hourglass um, um, just with a ballpoint pen. And so he drew that with a bendy pen. Like in solitary, you could just get these like, um, bendy pens. Um, oh God. And this is a schematic of a solitary cell. So you can see it has, there's like a toilet, a bunk and a desk and it's from a, a bird's eye view. So you're like looking into it. Mm-hmm. And it says the cell's approximately seven feet by 12 feet. Wow. Um, so this cell is smaller than that. This is this is eight feet long. So it would be four more feet long. Like I would say a more regular cell. My friends have been in cells this size, because I asked them, I was like, Is this too small? Are we misleading the public? Right. You know, and they were like, No, I've definitely been in cells that size. But more commonly they're like four feet longer. Either way Yeah either way It's, yeah, like, either way it's, it's a, a <laughs> room the size Of your bathroom Yeah
0: either way It's not a comfortable Spot yeah. to be in For long periods of time
1: Yeah You know it's reminding Me of this story This is a really cool Envelope Yeah it is um, That's all done With ballpoint pen Just to point out That was sent To the prison poster project um, My friend Crust Who actually spoke At the opening he, He's an incarcerated Artist He told me that The toilets in the prisons Like have this Amazing suction mm. Like um, just like, so if you flush the toilet, it's like just like like the suction is amazing, really? It's like really, really like slurps whatever down there. <laughs> and he was like, they were mad. At this one prison over condiments, like they weren't getting, the, they cut their condiments for food. You guys can welcome to come in and stand inside here. There's, there's art on the walls inside the cell. Um, and so in protest of them cutting their food and their condiments, all the guys started flushing their sheets down oh, the wow. metal toilets. And it clogged up the water for the neighboring town. Oh, my God. The whole water system. And was effective. Just an effective, like a yeah. prison, example of prison resistance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. Um so some things to point out in this cell. Um, there this is an illustration by our friend named Johan. Johan was incarcerated at Albion, which is close to Erie, and he made six of these when he was in prison without any books. It is a maze. Of lines that don't cross each other and they spell out the word freedom in the Mm -hmm. center of it. Wow. So when he didn't have any books and was bored, he made six of those. Wow. Um, This artwork is um, by a a teen project called Rust, and they listened to a presentation I gave and then picked a topic that came out of whatever whatever they pulled from the, actually it was like a prison poster project. We showed them the artwork, and then one of them picked LGBTQ prisoners and did research, Mm -hmm. and they did artwork relating to um, queerness in prison. One did self-defense is not a crime, talking about our friend Charmaine Fender, Mm. who's currently incarcerated. She'd been in prison over 30 years. Mm. She um, defended herself against being raped. She survived. The, The man died um and she's been in prison since she was 19 wow this was also the criminalization of queerness because, I mean, Shar at that time, like according to her mom, she was like, I didn't even, Shar was just like, she was a teenager. She was exploring, she had a girlfriend and maybe boyfriends, mm-hmm. but they made her out. She was definitely like a little butch, mm-hmm. you know? And so this is the, um, the historical criminalization of queerness. They made her out into this man-hating lesbian mm. and they didn't even, self-defense wasn't even on the table. Wow. Wasn't even on the table. Yeah. So this is um, this banner here that says, imagine a world without prisons. This is a quote from Angela Davis. Oh, wow. I went to see her speak one time and she said that she said we need to imagine a world without prisons. <laughs> and we need to imagine um, because they haven't always been here. Mm hmm. They have not always been here. Indigenous communities have dealt with harm in many different ways. I was talking to some youth a couple weeks ago and showing them the artwork that I'll show you um, with our uh, um, the illustration about cultural suppression of indigenous people. That fellow was um, an indigenous man from Canada who was incarcerated and he used to get out on the weekends. Mm. And everybody just could not believe that. I'm like, yeah, he went out and he worked at a homeless shelter on the weekends until he was like done his time. It was like a step-down program. Mm. But like, so there's, and I, I say that to say there's other ways to organize society and culture and do stuff and so, yeah, I mean, I think we need to take it personally. Like, harm happens to a lot of people. Everyone I know, I mean, most of the women and people I know have survived either sexual violence, domestic violence, or have a loved one that has, or have experienced state violence in all these different ways. So, like, how do we, you know... How do we deal with the issue of public safety without the prisons? Because that is the, you know, ostensibly right. the problem that the prisons are trying to solve.
0: Right. But, it, I mean, it just doesn't... It's not helping anything for him to be imprisoning people in inhumane ways and right. giving them, you know, treating them less than human. And, you know, it's just... Yeah. Know, it's, it's really...
1: So this is some more artwork by Rashid. Some more of his pen art over here, and um, here's an, uh, the illustration of the Move
0: Eight. He's extremely talented.
1: Yeah, he's unbelievable, and. Um, So, yeah, there's portraits of the move eight there. He does this collage thing where he gets pictures. People send him pictures and we used to send him pictures. And then he just he can really just draw whatever the picture is. So he kind of makes these ballpoint pen collages from photographs that he's received. Wow. And so there's one of a Sada Shakur about women. There's one about indigenous struggles. Um, It's like the state, the country, the shape of the country with a whole bunch of different indigenous freedom fighters um, depicted. There's a picture of Che. Mm -hmm. And the quote's like, what do the dangers or sacrifices of a man matter when the destiny of humanity is at stake? Um, There's a portrait of George Jackson, who was a leader of, you know, the 70s black liberation movement. You know, him and Angela Davis were Mm -hmm. friends, and Mm -hmm. that was, like, her whole, the way that she got incarcerated was, I can't remember. She was, like, hooking George and um, Jonathan up with guns or was a part of that, yeah. trying to liberate George Jackson. That's how Angela Davis got. And then she became a she w- lawyer and fought for her own freedom and got out, which is, you know, just to tie it back to the Amistad rebels, the, you know, those enslaved Africans who were on the Amistad, they lawyered their way out of conviction right. and were able to go back to Africa on their own, by their own will and hands from, like, their own lawyering skills. <clears throat> So there's all kinds of not only not only histories of oppression link back historically, but also histories of resistance and liberation can be, you know, found to be patterns and links. You know, like Marcus Rediker was saying when he came to speak last Saturday, like what the aboli- slave abolitionists did was to expose the realities of sla- of slavery. That was like one of the things they did with this image right here mm-hmm. depicting the slave ship, you know, with all the people piled in the bottom right. of the slave ship. Like abolitionists would use that to be like, look at this. And it's very similar. Like we're showing you the solitary confinement yeah. cell being like, look at this is what we're doing to people.
0: Wow. All right, so let' let's move on to the other side, the rest of some of this artwork. Well, now, tell me about the curation of this show this. Okay what was the
1: Well, so TR, he does these paintings on leaves which okay. are in the middle of this wall. Okay. And um, so the leaves would blow in through the yard and he would get them. And then he had access to art supplies after he got out of the hole and started doing these beautiful portraits on leaves. Wow. So these are actual leaves. There are animals, there's deers, there's a wolf behind a tree. Oh my this, there's a raccoon, there's a Buddha, which this Martha, is... Martha won the Buddha. These are absolutely beautiful. Yeah. My favorite, like, this one's my favorite, the yellow, this lake, because it's just so conceptual, like, the painting of the forest on the leaf. Right. It's like, meta, love it. So, and this is his portrait from, it's 10 years old, he's like, I need to make a new one. But that's his portrait. And him explaining why he... Um, Let's see what he says, he's like, these leaves are my contraband line of art. As ridiculous as it may sound, the prison actually considers them contraband. Anything not issued by the prison or not on the approved list of personal items is considered contraband, even leaves blowing in the wind. Wow. I'm often asked why I paint on leaves, and the simple answer is because they represent freedom to me. They came from the outside world, not surrounded by razor wire or gun towers. And this means a lot to many prisoners. And it's true, people have sent me leaves. My friend I made an art piece, my friend Aziz sent me a leaf and he wrote that it's most beautiful letter. It's over on the other side, but um so I are like excerpted from his letter talking about the leaf being I mean, a symbol of freedom, but also being like torn from the tree Mm -hmm. and the tree being like the parent and then the tree losing its leaves. And he's like, I, you know, parents lose their children to places like this. Does the tree feel sad that it's like lost its leaf? And he's like articulating. It's so moving. Um, So anyway, we wanted to have a show. I wanted to show Todd's leaves, TR's leaves. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, well, I'll donate. He's like, Etta, if you want to sell them, I'll donate some to the cause. And I was like, okay, well, let's have a huge fundraiser show. And then it just snowballed to, I'm like, we've never shown these amazing illustrations, pencil, charcoal, of- um,
0: And all of these are by- president,
1: This whole wall is by people incarcerated, yeah so and then it's just like you know we wanted to fill up the space this on the ceiling here we have a list of um we use this in harrisburg when we go you know so let's get free the women and trans prisoner defense committee which all the funds are going to we work with we, we were founded by charmaine and avis lee which i can talk more about later but our biggest campaign is to abolish life without parole uh-huh. um we think that's inhumane unjust um a disservice to humanity Mm -hmm. these people have been in prison for over 30 years Paulette Carrington did like 38 years she's the only woman on this list that's stretching above our heads that has been out released from prison and she got out two weeks ago she'd been in prison she was 16 she's the only one and she got out because of the juvenile the federal law uh, made it unconstitutional to Incarcerate juveniles to the sentence of life without parole. That is a living death sentence. That is death by incarceration. So,
0: the numbers by some of them.
1: The numbers are how many times they've applied for commutation, which is the only like release valve for people serving life. So, Dolores Gardner, she applied for commutation two times. Mm Kimber- and was denied. Kimberly Jones applied six times. Marie Scott. Marie Scott's portrait is, is over there, the top woman. That's Marie Scott. The locks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she is like, they should be paying her a social worker wage. Like, she has started so many programs inside the prison, like, um, for parents of incarcerated children, um, all kinds of stuff. This We were at Harrisburg testifying to people, and one of her supporters came and read everything that she had done. And I'm like, this person is working for the prison system. (laughs) Like seriously, all of the (laughs) programs and everything she was doing, it was like incredible. Wow. And so we're paying, uh, 35,000 is how much it costs to incarcerate a regular person. But most of these people are elders, Mm. people on the ceiling. I'm pointing to the ceiling. So there's over 5,000 people in prison. I think like over a thousand of them are elders. That's grandparents. Yeah. That's like Avis over 50. Over fifty, you start costing the state uh, fifty. It just just goes up from there, like fifty thousand, sixty thousand. I think it's about seventy thousand. And an elder, a geriatric prisoner, which is over the age of fifty in prison, is considered geriatric. Um,
0: what are the black dots by some of them? I don't know. I think that was. Um, i
1: think that was just zoe the person who did it trying to keep track of gotcha
0: (laughs) keep track of some stuff
1: yeah so
0: yeah we got all right so all of these are by
1: yeah let me just point out some details in these these here because they're so subtle. They're like very delicate pencil drawings. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Benji Hill, my friend Mikhail Selly and actually I got a letter he wants to know how much his piece sold for. <laughs>
0: he was like wants to tell. So this is his Now m- it's not I'm sorry. I um, don't uh, but it's this is it's not like they are allowed art supplies. Yeah, actually they are. They are? Okay. Yeah. It
1: depends where you are. So the, if you're in solitary you get the ballpoint pen. Okay. That's all you get. Um but there's a lot Michigan has awesome art programs. Okay. So like Dwayne Motney, who's he's in that oval frame mm-hmm. and he has ama- a amazing self portrait. He he had access to a lot of like he's using charcoals in that in that one you okay. can see. Um but yeah you can buy supplies okay, with, through Dick Blick they're oh, like an approved okay. vendor yeah. so like they, Todd would get like a commissary sheet and be like you know it's it's all very approved and vetted and like mm-hmm. but there's art teachers in art programs and stuff okay um, yeah so Crest had markers here okay but so you can see and this is like a close up of a tier you can see the the wife mm-hmm. his wife and daughter leaving the visiting room yeah. And then it's also reflected in the pupil of the eye. Mm -hmm. Um, This is Mike Brown articulating what the hospital is like. And just some of the little details. You know, it says if you're not dying, the procedure is elective. Wow. Which is totally true. It costs now $2 to go to the doctors in Pennsylvania prisons, which is like a ton of money for a lot of prisoners. Right. Um, So they won't go. Wow. You know? Um, Or, you know, you put in a request, and it takes forever. Charmaine had cancer, and she got, she had to go process, and then she got these tests. And I just remember, like, Donna, her mom, would, like, every email, every week, she'd be like, we still don't know about the test. We still don't, just, like, so hard to get information out. Um, Yeah, hep... Hep C, HIV in the blood, TB in the air, staph on the skin. And then you can see there's a woman giving birth and she's shackled, hmm. which that law got overturned, but it's not enforced. Women, we're still getting reports of women really? being shackled, pregnant. Um, this is Augustin Galliardo, one of my favorite self-portraits. It's just unbelievable pencil shading skill, and he um, he's obviously like a Latino man. Um, and his autobiography, he talks about he's a juvenile lifer, been in since he was 16. He's from California, and he illustrated this little this little cell down here that's talking about the life sentence. And you see a ch- a child looking into a. Um, A pocket watch and in the reflection you see an old man and that old man is sitting on a cot and on the walls are are pictures of his family that he things that he's missing out on like birthdays graduations and you can see like um letters from his kids and you can see the creases in the artwork Mm -hmm. of like it was folded up in a letter and in the shadow of his feet it says life like very delicately Um, just the amount of detail, and then it, again um, maurice scott he 's free now, hopefully he got out hopefully like almost ten years ago because this is when we were working on this project it 's pretty old now, mm-hmm. but um, so people have a hard time it 's so delicate this pencil it's it 's a man sitting on a cot and he 's sleeping, so he 's like sleeping on his arms, and you see his skull, and in this skull is the, the shape of the continent of Africa mm. and then within that continent is a cot, an empty cot, and you see footsteps leading, leading away. Wow. Yeah, I was so blown away when we got that. Wow. Then we have the totally skilled Dwayne Motney, also, also a juvenile lifer. He (laughs) fell in love and had a fiancé a couple years ago. Oh, yeah? So, and I hope he gets out of prison, too, but I... I'm going to write him now that we've had his art framed and stuff. So he has people getting strip searched and again, a visiting room. And then these two are some of, you know, the most beautiful, beautifully horrific yeah. and skilled pieces that we receive. So this is the death penalty. And um, you can see the crucifix, the Jesus is covering his eyes. There's a a priest over the man who's getting um, injected, and he has the words Exodus reflected in his glasses. And there's DNA strands sort of floating around the man who's like strapped in, and the um, executioner who's like wearing like this Darth Vader-looking mask, although yeah, looks like a correctional cop or something. And so the DNA strands symbolize, with wings, the only way that people on death row can get out of prison is if they have DNA evidence. So, and so all those innocence projects, they won't take you if you don't have, if there's no DNA evidence, Mm -hmm. they won't take you. And so this is like extremely powerful. Just, you know, this week when a man was executed, I think like four days ago, Leland Lee, Arkansas. Arkansas. Yeah. Because of the drugs, which are listed on these syringes that are coming out of the face mask of the executioner, you see the actual chemical compounds. Did you all hear the sickness? So, like, the state of Arkansas was like, these drugs are going to expire. We got to hurry up and kill five people. And then to make that even more, more, I can't even think of the word to describe it, Sick. hideous. The chemical, so it was like, there's three chemicals listed here that they use in the cocktail to kill someone. And the one chemical, like, knocks you out, supposed to be, like, anesthesia. Mm -hmm. And that's the one that was going to expire. And apparently that chemical is super rare. And people who were, like, getting surgeries and stuff were, like, needing it. But the prisons were hoarding it for their executions. And so there was, like, not enough on the outside for people in medical procedures, but they were hoarding it to kill people. And the man they killed said he was innocent the whole time. And anybody who studies Innocence Project knows... You're probably innocent. Mm. If you said you were innocent the whole time, people maintain their innocence because they ref- they just never give in. They'll right. never like, okay, I did it. Right. They just never do. So, in the back, in the back of the scene is like a leering, jeering crowd that you can see, which harkens to lynchings where they used to have these yeah. public. So, in the frame next to this was sort of the juxtaposition, talking about the history from Jim Crow lynchings. Um, and all of that stuff where there used to be people surrounding um,
0: those other... Surrounding, watching, taking photos, cheering on. Yeah.
1: This guy's from Garfield. This is Leonard Jefferson. He was incarcerated up in Albion, which is near Erie. Um, And he's articulating regular prison life here. This is like a cafeteria scene. Mm -hmm. I love it. Because the different hairstyles are cool. There's, like, a guy with a half a fro and half braids (laughs) and, like, hats. And, like, here's a little secret raised fist in there. (laughs) Um, So that's, like, the lunch line scenario. And then up there is a pod. And you can see it's, like, double-decker. And there's people playing chess and watching TV over on the left. They're, like, watching a dog fight. (laughs) And then you can see somebody getting their cell. Like, that's what they call a shakedown where they strip... They, they, like, go through all your stuff in your cell. Mm. But a lot of people have said that this is what a lot of the prisons in Pennsylvania look like. Mm-hmm. Um, this one he also did, the basketball and chain. You can see, like, somebody playing basketball with, a uh, there's a slave, like, a shackle to the basketball. Um, this is uh, Patches, who I was telling you about, who's a Native American. First Nations from can- Canada, he's out of prison. And this was his piece about the oppression of spirituality. Mm. So you can see these um, correctional officers that are, like, hoofed. And mm-hmm. they really look like sadistic pigs. Right. Um, like, shaking down a medicine bag and all the stuff's falling out. And there's, like, one cop has, like, a dream catcher against the wall. And he's, like, holding a cross against the wall. Um... Yeah, so you can be put in solitary for being in a gang. And I remember when we were looking at the, and Native Americans are um, Latinos, Native American, you know, people of color are more uh, likely to suffer solitary, what any policies of the criminal justice, like people of color are more likely to suffer that. But um, when we were at the StopMax conference, one of our educators did this thing where they were like, okay, if you speak more than one, you know, keep track of all your points. Like, if you speak more than one, if you speak Spanish, give yourself seven points. If you speak another language, give yourself five points. If you speak the same language that's different than English, that's the same as somebody else, give yourself 11 points. Um, If you have more than one piercing, or if you have piercings, if you have facial piercings, give yourself points. If you wear beads, give yourself points. Mm -hmm. And then, if they were like, if you're white, sit down. But basically, they were like, if you scored a certain number, you are considered you were in a gang oh, and you good. were put into solitary, and the only way to get out was if you renounced your gang. Wow. So, that in the case of Native Indigenous people is like renouncing your spirituality. Right.
0: Um, this one is pretty interesting where, you know, the Department of Corrections is essentially erasing their identities.
1: Yeah. This is what I'm seeing, this is what I'm seeing here. That's also by wow. Leonard, Leonard Jefferson. I want to point out Cece McDonald here because this is interesting because she was a political prisoner do you, anybody remember her Cece McDonald um, Cece McDonald is a black trans woman from the Midwest um, she fought back against a racial, a racial and transphobic attack these people were harassing her she had scissors she stabbed the dude and killed him fought back she uh, she did four years, and she's free now. And actually, Laverne Cox is making a movie about her life right now. Okay. Um, so that's a success. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about yeah. success? Is like her getting out of prison is a success. And she actually, like... Um, she knows about our group here, and we lifted her up at our first event that we ever did because she was still in prison then. And, um, and so, yeah, this she's a success. So her illustration, her portrait here is illustrated by Marius Mason, who's another trans political prisoner. And she's an eco-defense prisoner. I think she was fighting against um, She fought against, like, genetically modified food. Mm -hmm. She fought for animal liberation. And I think she did some direct actions, but she got, like, a 22-year sentence. So if you break into, like, a corporate place that's, like, I I don't know all the details of her case. But if it's, like, Monsanto or something and you go in and tear up a bunch of their stuff, that's, like, federal... So she's in a federal, or he, excuse me, he transitioned two years ago. He's in a federal institution for 22 years. But he illustrated that. So that's like double political prisoner um, connection. More exquisite artwork by Rashid. This was a poster for a conference that happened on this block in 2003. Um, Locked out, we were trying to bring different prison justice groups together just to get to know each other. So oftentimes community organizations just don't know each other. Um, so he did this illustration of a young boy in a Target. It was called Locked Out. Oh. This is You Can Lock My Body If My Mind Is Free. A lot of prisoners say that and they hold on to that and it's an illustration of a man in a cell, but it's almost like his cell is like a forest and a jungle and there's like right. a lion.
0: This is all coming from the book that looks like he's reading. Yeah. Well, this is also awesome, pretty amazing and just skilled and just, and I, you know, obviously they have time on their hands, but it's all very detailed, just beautiful artwork.
1: Yeah, I love this piece right here, Um, Gibran. I tried to keep up with him because, yeah, I just love his style. He has, like, a cartoon style. It's, like... A cartoonish illustration style, but it's so, I think it's, I just like it a lot. And his composition, he was responding to the question of what I would be doing if I wasn't in prison. And it's kind of like this collage of like, I'd be working and you can see him like cutting wood. I'd be at the studio and he's like singing into a mic. He'd be with his family. He's like hugging his girl, doing film and video. There's like a director chair. And then on the other side of the illustration is just a silhouette of his face in a cot. That's kind of behind his head. Yeah. So this, all this wall over here is like artists in solidarity. So they donated their artwork to the cause. Okay. So it's not all directly related to prison justice, but some of it is. And this, this is, this t-shirt Charmaine made when she was 19 years old. Mm. Um... And she was, I would say, terrorized by her father. And um, she was in therapy when she was an older teen. And she made this T-shirt ab- about, you know, processing child abuse. Mm. Um, It says, with mixed messages, no direction to follow, no steering to the right path. Add to that beatings when you don't deserve them, confusion to what is really wrong and really right. Due to lack of compliments and existing only punishment, children can't find a way out of this maze of abuse. Please change their direction.
0: Wow. And there's a maze on front.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So then there's a maze, and it says, there is a way out. But, you know, we were looking at these things in the maze. What do you think those...
0: They're probably things that she got beat with. Yeah. Extension cord, bottle, that. Yeah.
1: And so, like, you know, Charmaine's dad never went to prison. Mm -hmm. Involved in a domestically abusive relationship with Char's mom. Terrorized Char. It's just like...
0: So all of these, you said, are are donated. Yeah.
1: This is Avis. She's, like, my dear friend. She's going to move into my house when she gets out. And she's going to make me vegetarian food. (laughs) She's been, she's an awesome cook, and she's been saving, I think it's so sweet, she's been saving, like, recipes for me. um, Vegetarian recipes. And she wants to, she has big dreams. She gardens. Um... She wants to have a food truck. We want to have this youth program that's, like, gardening. Because she learned how to be a master gardener. And um, she loves cooking. So it would be like this, like, grow the food, have a food truck, and then have, like, a fun, like, food truck. <laughs> she, like, thought of it. I, I can't remember the name. But we want to make a cookbook of her stuff. It's. Do you all know about how they cook food in prisons? No. It's really, like, it's a whole nother scenario. Like, for they bake in the everything's in the micro. I mean they have nothing, they have like very little they have microwaves and they do a lot of things where they buy like stuff from the commissary which is like the store mm. so they'll get crackers saltines and like they use salt they cut saltines up mm. and then that's like flour mm. and then they put water in that and they make crusts out of like different crackers and stuff um, and the seasonings they get it's all like different junk food yeah A lot of it. And then they'll, you know, nick food from the kitchen. Right. Um, Especially if it's somebody's birthday. They always do, like, very special things for one of their people's birthdays. Um, But Avis has been incarcerated for over 30 years. She's in the same prison as Charmaine. And those wings that you see in the front that are, like, on fire, um, that was from a play we did. We co-wrote with Avis called Chin to the Sky, the Life Sentence of Avis Lee. And it was about... um, it was about her life sentence. We wanted to be clear that it wasn't about her life, like she is more than her life sentence. And um, when she was 19, so her mom died when she was 16. She kind of raised her some of her siblings. She did a lot of different things to survive. Um, she lived a whole bunch of time before she went to prison at the age of 19, but she was into drugs. Her and her brother went to go rob somebody with a friend. Avis was across the street as a lookout. The brother and friend killed the guy. Unfortunately, tragically, very sad. Um, Avis, they left. They ran. And I remember that made me so mad when I heard about that. And I was complaining to Salim. I'd be like, they left her there. They left her. And um, Salim was like, at you just gotta let go. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like people do all kinds of st- like, because right. you can't hold on. A, you can't hold on to that. <laughs> anyway, so um, she got on the bus. She was like, "There's a man in the parking lot. He's hurt." Mm. I say that because she tried to get help for him, which matters legally right. and everything. And it was true. That's what happened. Um, but he ended up dying, and because of the murder-felony conviction rule, if you're at the scene of a felony, if you're participating in a felony and a murder happens, you basically get life without parole. So even though she didn't pull the trigger, right. she's been serving you know, a life sentence. Wow. Um, well. She's not alone. There's a lot of people in that scenario. My friend Saleem, 16, he was also a lo- in a lookout scenario.
0: Yeah. How do you manage not to let this weigh as heavy on you in the regular?
1: In the day-to-day? Yeah. Um, it's okay.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, whatever you got to do, Thomas. Um, uh, well, you know, I'm 42 now, and I've been doing this for, like, 15 years, and I think at different parts of my life, like, I mean, I've had breakdowns. Um, I also was not a trained social worker. Mm-hmm. I did not know how to have good boundaries at right. all. Like I had terrible boundaries. I would, um, you know, tr- feel respo- like, kind of responsible or want to be able to like any letter that I got. I would cry. I'm just like they're pr- like this person has diabetes and they're not giving him his insulin and they keep sticking his needle in wrong. You know, it's like everything is like tra- you know traumatic. And you're so helpless, and you call and call, they don't do anything. So frustrating, but you could just, you know, I had to learn how to have boundaries. I also, um, I mean, I just practice self care. Mm. Like, I mean, I burned out. My friend Hoagie, who's good friends with Martha, mm. I smile because he's funny. He's, like, really funny. He has this very specific handwriting that's, like, just charming. And he's like, little sister come, little sister Edda Little sister Edda. He's in solitary confinement, mind you, when he's telling me this. He's in general pop now. But at this time, he was like, little sister, you're going to burn out. You're going to burn out, little sister Edda. And I was like, I was kind of like, fuck you, Hoagie. I ain't burning out. Never. I'll never burn out. I'm like, how dare I? I'll never. But then I've learned that burning out doesn't mean that you give up. Right. that you don't care right. that you don't want to help it means that your body's like um you gotta stop yeah um, we need you moment. can't actually get <laughs> up out of bed you're so tired yeah i mean i understand yeah i learned what burnout was yeah self-care and um spirituality i've definitely been embracing spirituality i mean i have i spend years being depressed you know it's hard. Yeah. I'm, at, I'm good right now. Well, good. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, I was depressed for like four years. I also started going to the doctor. Thank you, Obama, health care. Yeah. I had a thyroid problem. Just like, you know, taking care of yeah. myself. Yeah. And realizing that you can only control what you have control over. And I know my commitment mm. to justice keeps me lifted because I'm like, I know that I'm going to do everything that I can till I die. I'm in it there's no other way I want to live. I don't know how else to live. I chose life because if you haven't killed yourself, you also have chosen life right. and like, I'm going to live. And Avis taught me that one of our first visits, I was like, how come you're not bitter? <laughs> <laughs> like, you're so positive. Right. She was like, do you believe in reincarnation? Do you believe in like, I just was like,
0: how? I was so mad for
1: her. I was so pissed for yeah. her I was but like you know, how- at some
0: point you gotta I mean you gotta be able to just let it go and try to yeah. uh, and look on the positive mm-hmm. look at the positive and sh- yeah and I mean thank you for doing mm-hmm. what you're doing thank you Miss Martha for working on and just I mean you both are very strong to just be able to go through this on an everyday consistent basis and god bless you both (laughs) thank (laughs) you thanks congratulations on the show and uh uh, raising as much money as you did so far and you still got another week
1: we got another week there's still some pieces and i just have to say like our cause is the most unpopular cause yeah as far as prison justice goes because we're working with people who hurt people right um sincere i mean it's real yeah. And, you know, the, the people that we love and defend and think deserve a second chance. Like, I wholeheartedly believe these people are not a threat to society and would only offer gifts if they were allowed to reenter. Like, people, they're the people that they use as the poster children for why prisons are necessary. Right. So our cause is we don't get funding. So
0: drop us a dime. Gotcha. All right. Well, how can folks find out more about
1: let's get free info mm-hmm. is um, the women and trans prisoner defense committee. But there's also like if our group isn't your cup of tea, there's so many different groups and we have a coalition to abolish death by incarceration.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's a statewide organization. Mm-hmm. So there's you know, if you just want to be on a coalition terms, if your group wants to join our coalition, mm-hmm. we would need you. Um, There's a group called the Allegheny County Jail Health Project or something, almost like that. They're doing awesome work trying to keep people safe at the Allegheny County Jail. You can get involved with them. I mean, seriously, like, I think people just need to get involved in an organization. Because if you're working for um, healthy food in our communities, Mm -hmm. you know, you're working for prison abolition. You know, if you're working for health care for all, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're—join
0: an organization— I kind of don't care right. which one.
1: Like <laughs> Just pick get one. Involved. Yeah, pick one. Pick one.
0: <laughs> well, if folks are interested in following you. Yeah. Where can they find you on social media and online and stuff?
1: I love Instagrams. <laughs> um, at Women in Prison is our Instagram. Okay. But other members of our group do Facebook, mm-hmm. and I think it's like a long Facebook name. It's like the Women in Prison Defense Committee, or yeah, Women in Prison Defense Committee is the Facebook. Okay. But you could go to our website and connect with that. Twitter is at Viva Marilyn Buck. Okay. So I know people are like, why? Just be regular. I'm like, but nobody knows who Marilyn Buck was. Does anybody here know? My- I do not know. Marilyn Buck helped liberate Asada Shakur. Okay. She went to prison. Right. She went to prison. She was a white revolutionary, anti-imperialist, um, Badass she died a month after she was released she got compassionate release and um but she lived i mean she gave her life for asada wow that's why i want people to remember her that's okay that's the kind of that's the kind of woman i want i want to be you know i want to be that
0: well thank you lynn stewart
1: lynn stewart say her say her name
0: lynn stewart she
1: uh she was imprisoned she was a
0: lawyer who was in prison. She, they, she got a compassionate release too, and um, she uh, was eventually released. But she just died a few couple months ago. Yeah. Well. Oh. Yeah. Well. Again, thank you both, ladies, for. I can keep talking. <laughs> I know, thank you both, seriously, for yeah. everything that you do, and thank you for letting me record you as, yeah. you as you dump your knowledge upon us all. And thank y'all for letting me kind of block your ways and whatnot.